Welcome to uh, Seaside. Uh, my name is Pastor Lydia, and I am one of the pastors serving here. And yes, wow. No, I was so popular today. <laughs> um, but it's always an honor to be preaching before you. And so I just want to, yeah, say it's, it's a good feeling to always preach before the Seaside family. Now, I, I would rather um, preach here than anywhere else. Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so the last time I preached at Sunday service here at Seaside, um, I actually talked about choosing life. And I mentioned how uh, Moses and Joshua, at the end of their uh, leadership, they both said the same thing to the people of Israel. And they said, choose life, choose obedience, uh, choose to follow in the path of life, uh, rather than to choose disobedience, which will result in curses. And so I talked about how uh, we were created by God to have the power and the authority to make choices. And that, in fact, the ability to choose is a way in which we reflect the image of God. And so I also talked about how it's important to abandon this mentality that I have absolutely no control over my circumstances, that I'm only a victim and that I'm just a passive agent and I'm unable to make choices to a greater maturity. Um, instead, as much as maturity is a product of God's grace upon our lives, um, it is also our choice and our responsibility. But if you were ever in a physical education class growing up in elementary school, and your teacher decided for some reason that they will not choose the teams, but instead they chose two of your classmates and said, okay, you two pick who you want on your team, then in some ways, he kind of, that teacher kind of left your fate into the hands of these two of your classmates. And you would have learned early on in life that, you know, life is not just about making choices, but a lot of times you are at the other end of someone's choice, that you're at the receiving end of someone's choice. And if you're athletic and you're skilled in whatever sport that your teacher wanted, you know, you guys to play and you know, maybe you had also a friend who was a team captain, then you would have, you know, maybe been the top choice. But if you were that clumsy kid, that extremely klutzy, no hand-eye coordination, uh, super gangly, super nerdy, wearing huge thick glasses and, um, you know, socially awkward, just <laughs> the list goes on, right? But if you were that kid, then you might have felt that pain of just waiting, like holding your breath and hoping that you won't be that last name that nobody called, but you were just chosen by default, you know? Because nobody wanted to be that kid. Nobody wants to be that kid that really isn't chosen. It's just kind of, you're the last person, so you just automatically go on the, um, on the team. And this aspect of life of being chosen and waiting to be chosen and perhaps even being rejected, it didn't end in PE class in elementary school. But it continues on throughout our lives. You know, as high school seniors, we have to send in our college applications and wait and wait and wait until we receive an acceptance letter or no letter or <laughs> rejection letter, whatever it may be. Or as working individuals, we have to apply to these jobs and then they interview us and we have to wait and wait until we hear back. Or as sisters and women of God, we have to wait for that guy to choose us and to notice us and to pursue us, because we're not, you know, in the pagan world where, <laughs> okay. 
Okay, I know people have different opinions about that. Okay, but anyways, so even in the midst of our frustrations, we have to wait. But how many of you know that no matter what your experience in life was in regards to choosing or being chosen or being rejected by others, in fact, you have already been chosen. And not chosen by anybody, but chosen, selected, called out, elected by God himself. The God of the universe looked at you and said, I choose him or I choose her for myself. He said, Brianne, you are mine. Carol, you are mine. Or Randall, you are mine. And he, uh, he, in some time in eternity, God looked at you and said, you're mine. And no matter how much rejection you've experienced in your life, you know, whether it's your friend who didn't choose you to be on their team, uh, whether it's, you know, you, you, you went after girls in your romantic pursuits and they all rejected you, or maybe it was something more serious. Maybe your parents rejected you. Maybe they chose ministry over you. Maybe they chose their career over you. But no matter what your experience was, it does not change the fact that you are chosen. And Ephesians 1 chapter 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. You know, you were chosen before the earth was established. You were chosen before you even existed here on this earth. You were first chosen before ever being accepted. I mean, be- sorry, before ever being rejected. Your first experience was acceptance and not rejection. Because God chose you, and therefore you are a chosen one. You know, a lot of times we often root our identity in our parents, uh, in our experience with our parents. So if we never experience the love of an earthly father, you know, oftentimes we end up with an identity of I'm not loved, I'm fatherless, I'm an orphan, um, I'm rejected. I'm rejected because even my own parents rejected me. So who can love me if my own parents didn't love me? And I felt like somebody needed to hear this today. And what it is, is before you were ever rejected by your parents, God had already chosen you. And he had already set his love upon you. God, you know, God had to give me this revelation to really set me free. Because this was my thinking as well. Because my parents, you know, I had issues with them. And, you know, I ended up with an identity of, man, I'm not loved. I'm not worthy. If my own parents didn't love me in that way to show me that I'm worthy, then I'm not worthy. I can't be worthy. And God had to look at me and say, look, your identity goes deeper than your parents. It goes down to me. I'm your beginning and not your parents. Mm -hmm. There's no amount of rejection in your life that should be able to touch this identity that you carry as a chosen one. Because that is who you truly are. You know, you started with God because he was the one who formed you. He was the one who created you in your mother's womb. Um, the word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, in the NIV, uh, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are a chosen person. that there is power in understanding our identity as people chosen by God. And this doesn't just mean a generic like God saying to the church, I choose you and calling people out as the ecclesia, but rather I believe that God also gives specific um, 
a specific calling to each individual. And I know here we can go into this whole theological debate about, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Uh, is it the, you know, is it predestination or is it conditional election? Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Um, but I'm not going to go there today. I'm not going to open that can of worms. Um, but whether God chooses from foreknowledge or whether he chooses apart from man's response, It does not nullify the fact that God has always been and still is in the business of choosing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, I think a lot of us here are from the States and we love democracy. Um, But as much as we love democracy and we value the principles, you know, we know that God's kingdom is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. And this means that his kingdom has always advanced, not by the public vote, but by a private choice. Mm -hmm. By him choosing key individuals that he would set apart for his use. And so I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. First Corinthians 1, verse 26. Okay, I want us to read it all together. Okay, ready? One, two, three. For consider your calling, brothers... Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Okay, let's stop there. So here, Apostle Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. And he's saying, look, let's be real, guys. (laughs) Look around. Look at, you know, all of you look at each other. Uh, Not many of you here are from this high intellectual or influential level of society. You guys are really not the cream of the crop. Not many of you are wise in the eyes of the world. No, nobody's coming to you for advice. Uh, not many of you come from these, you know, superb families of this high socioeconomic status. And it was true because you see very early on, um, the early Christians in Corinth, they didn't really hold that many important positions in their community. There were some, like some are mentioned in the Bible, Crispus, his great name, had been the ruler of a synagogue. Erastus was an official in the city. But besides this few names, most of the Christians in Corinth were slaves or ex-slaves or ordinary workers. In fact, they were nobodies in society. And can you relate? I'm not calling you guys slaves. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, some of you probably feel this way in Korea as a foreigner, you know, as English teachers. So New Philly, look around. (laughs) You know, not many of us here are even that influential on the education mountain. Now, economically, we don't hold that much power. Some of us here go from paycheck to paycheck. You know, if we look at ourselves with sober judgment, according to the standards of this world, we really don't measure up. Even some of you have testimonies of God, you know, really taking you from a place of just partying and, you know. So even if you're talking about the past tense, this applies. (laughs) And there's people back home who often remind us of this. Like, what are you doing there? Like, what are you doing in Korea? And we look at our friends back home, and they're, you know, successful. They're climbing their, um, the ladder in their respective fields. Um, we're a lot more successful than we are uh, living literally. We, we, you know, living literally here as, like, aliens, right? In a small country in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, Paul, I don't think he was trying to just feed his audience some humble pie. Because he doesn't stop there. Now, after saying, this is who you were, not wise, not influential, not powerful, 
He says in verse 27, but God chose. But God chose. Okay, let's stop there because we know that whenever there is a but God moment, you need to stop. You need to stop and be like, what just happened? Because <laughs> something happened and everything could be going wrong. You could be going down this path of despair. But when there's a but God moment, there's this great turnaround. And all of a sudden, you're on the path of light. And in the same way, you know, it's like when you're trailing behind by two points in, in, in the game of basketball and the buzzer is about to ring and you're losing, and then the three-point shot goes in, and then you won the championship. That's the but God moment. And, you know, here the Apostle Paul is saying, you may have been the least influential, the lowest of the low in the social ladder, but God chose you. Now the tables have turned. Now it's time to move beyond the fact that you're underqualified in the eyes of the world. Now it's time to tap into the power of but God chose. No, there's power in knowing that you are chosen. And brothers and sisters, God's choice over your life, it supersedes any qualification that you think you need or any qualification the world demands. The world's saying, you know, you got to have the PhD, you got to have the experience, you got to look a certain way in Korea when you want a job, you got to look a certain way, that's why everyone gets plastic surgery. But God is saying, I've chosen you. I have chosen you. And in the Greek, the word to choose is eklogomai. Everyone say eklogomai. Okay, and this literally means to call out, or even more literally, it means to speak out. You see, in, cho- in choosing what God does, it's not just a mental ascent. Okay, that hurt. Like mentally, ascent, or just a kind of a... Um, a finger, right? <laughs> Just choosing like that. Um, but when God chooses, what he does is he sends out, he sends forth his spoken word. And he says, I choose her. I choose him. I choose you, Paul, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I choose you, Peter, to be the rock upon which my church will be built. I choose you, Caleb, to lead my church in Busan. I choose you, New Philly, to bring revival to Korea. I choose you. And the word of the Lord has gone forth. And when the word of God goes forth, there's always a creative power that's unleashed. And no matter what skill, qualification, talent, experience that you think you need, it does not matter because when God's, words, when God's word goes forth, that's what legitimizes you. Mm-hmm. It's God's decree. And when God decrees, it is done. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So in choosing you, in God speaking forth that word saying, I choose you, it also means that God will also fulfill every purpose for which he has chosen you. He's saying, you cannot help but succeed because my word has gone forth. Okay, now I kind of want to look at three different aspects of being chosen and living as chosen people. Okay, and my first point, my first um, point that I kind of want to unpack is this. In being chosen, you can be assured that God is committed to you from beginning to end. Okay, he doesn't just jump in the middle of the journey. He doesn't just back out in the end. Okay, but he is committed to you from the very beginning to the very end. And the Greek word that we mentioned before, eklogomai, meaning to choose, 
Okay, it's used in the middle voice in Greek. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but <laughs> according to my research, there's two things that you could, two points that you can extract from this, okay? The first one is this. The action of choosing is for God's own personal interest. In other words, when God chooses you, when he calls you, there's more at stake than just you. There's more at stake than the people that you will bless. But God himself, his name is at stake. God is personally invested in your calling. God's glory is at stake. And number two, the second thing that we can extract from this word, eklogomai, is there is a process involved to accomplish the action okay, for which he chose you. And God himself is intimately involved in that process, and he also participates in the result of the action. In other words, choosing is not just a one-time act. Okay, I choose you, it's over, finished. But he is choosing, and he chooses to walk with you through a process. It's not, all right, Pastor Herman, I choose you to be the world-famous worship leader. And then, all right, good luck, goodbye, see you later, hope everything works out. It's not that. But when God chooses a person, he chooses it so that he walks through a process with that person. And not just walk through a process, just kind of, you know, be there. But he is intimately involved from step one to the very last step. And I'm going to talk about um, David for a bit. Because I think David's life kind of really exemplifies this. Uh, If you look in 1 Samuel 16, you don't need to turn there. God tells the prophet Samuel, stop mourning about Saul. I've already rejected him as king. So go to Bethlehem and anoint this new king. Mm -hmm. And so we know the story, right? Samuel goes to Bethlehem, goes to the house of Jesse, and, you know, he lines up all the sons, and, you know, God's like, no, that's not him, that's not him. And then in the end, it's David, who's the youngest son. He's keeping the sheep out in the fields. He's unnoticed. He's overlooked by his family. He's the one who God says, this is the new king. This is the one. And Samuel doesn't waste any time. He gets his oil, pours it on him, you know, smears that oil on him, and says, you know, you're the, you're the next king. And, you know, one thing I've always wondered about was God's timing. Um, Because this was when God first revealed to David that he was to be king. And if I was David, I would have been like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be king. Like, I I can't wait to be king. It's like that Lion King song that Simba, Simba sings, right? Oh, I just can't wait to be king. And he just frolics around. Um. I mean, I don't know if David responded like that. Maybe if he was a sanguine, he would have responded like that, frolicking with the sheep, being like, I'm going to be king. But either way, he must have gone, you know, come to a place where he's like waiting. Okay, I'm going to be king. When am I going to go up on the throne? It's like one year passes, three year passes, no, five year passes. All right, 10 years. <laughs> Is this happening? <laughs> like, you know? And my thinking was, God, why did, why did God reveal to David so early on? Why did God reveal to David so early on about his destiny, about his calling? Now, why not after he went into Saul's service to play the liar? Why not after he cut off Goliath's head? And after he struck down the Philistines and everyone was publicly recognizing him and and acclaiming him? I mean, did you ever wonder why God would come to David at that specific time in his life when he was tending sheep to anoint him as king? And I think the father, you know, he often chooses us before we are anything close to a finished product. You know, his calling comes in moments of hiddenness. 
And we see this time and time again. David hidden away in the fields with sheep. Gideon called by God when he was hiding from the Midianites in a wine press. Moses hidden away in the wilderness tending sheep. And then he encounters God in the burning bush. You see, I believe there will come a moment when God will publicly exalt you and recognize you in the eyes of men. The moment when you are revealed. And this might come after you've won certain victories, after you've risen to a place of authority and influence, after you have faithfully stewarded what he has given you. But oftentimes, the private call of God, it will go forth when you are in a hidden place, when you're unnoticed, when you're perhaps overlooked and unqualified in every respect. And this is, yes, to keep us in a place of humility and to shape character. Paul, in fact, mentions it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he says, you know, God has chosen the weak to shame the strong. He's chosen the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And in fact, this is because that you may not boast before him. But even humility, I don't think, I don't think it's this awesome God in heaven who's just waiting to crush us every time we kind of think too highly of ourselves. Sometimes that's how we think of humility, right? So we often feel this fear like, oh, I can't be prideful. I can't do that, you know? But I believe even humility, what it is, is God wants to be intimately involved with you. Because if you have pride, you will not draw near to God. But God wants to be near to you. And that's why he desires that you be in that place of humility. And for this, uh, for, for God to say, you know, this is a process. This is a process that I'm taking or choosing as a process. What God is saying is, I'm a good father. And I want to be intimately involved in you walking out the purpose for which I have chosen you. You know, when we compare Saul and David, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that Saul was a handsome man. Mm-hmm, mm. <laughs> and, you know, he wasn't just eye candy for a few, uh, but it says in the word of God that there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. This is the... <laughs> This is not about you, Pastor. <laughs> okay, so this is the word of God saying this, okay? This is not just a personal opinion, but it's the word of God saying there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He was the most handsome man in all of Israel. You know, I was trying to find a modern-day equivalent. But I'm not like a huge, like... Uh, I don't really know that much about American culture. <laughs> so I, I Googled. And <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ashamed at all. <laughs> um, and I was looking through these different sites because they rank like, oh, hottest males, like Hollywood star or whatever. <laughs> and, um, there were some, but like, I was like, really him? But um, <laughs> one of the guys was uh, Robert Pattins- Pattinson from uh, Twilight. Is that correct? Twilight? I was like, really? But he don't like, last year he was voted like the sexiest man or something like that. And I was like, wow. (laughs) But anyways, whoever, (laughs) whoever you think in your mind, in your opinion, is the most handsome man, think about that person, okay? And just call him Saul. Okay. So Saul drew attention, okay? Because handsome and beautiful people draw attention. Like, let's be real, right? They just do. Wherever they go, people look at them. And Saul... (laughs) 
Well, Anthony. <laughs> Anthony just felt a witness in the spirit with that word. It's like, right. <laughs> okay. Um, so Saul, <laughs> Saul did not go unnoticed in Israel. And not only was he handsome, okay, but ladies, get this, he had the height factor working for him as well. Um, once again, it's the word of God, and it says, From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Wow. You know, not only is he handsome, but he's tall. It's one thing to be handsome and short, and handsome <laughs> and tall. I'm, I'm just saying, okay? Um, <laughs> Okay, but he was handsome and he was tall. That means that whenever Saul would come around, all the ladies would be like, mm-hmm, eyeing him, you know? And all the guys would probably be jealous, right? But, okay, it doesn't stop there. It gets better. He was the son of Abiel, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. Saul was not only handsome and tall, his daddy was rich. Okay. <laughs> that means, okay, that means he's rich too. And man, this sound, when I was reading this, I was like, this sounds like a Korean girl's dream. Like a, the Korean dramas, you know, that the main character was like the rich. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> so my point is this. Saul was not hidden. Okay. He stood out among men. He was recognized by men. He was probably respected by them. Um, and on the, the outside, he seemingly had every qualification needed to be the king of Israel. Unlike David, who started off hidden from the eyes of men, Saul never knew what it was to be hidden. And the ironic part of this story is this. When it came for the moment for Saul to be revealed as king, it was, very, it was a very dramatic moment, you know, because Samuel, he, he had it so that all of Israel was there. And then he called you know, he called the, the tribe of Benjamin out. And then he called the clan. And then he called the family. And then he was like, the next, the, not the next, the new king, the king of Israel is Saul. And everyone's like, where, what the, where's Saul? <laughs> and where was Saul? This handsome, tall man, he was hiding himself in the baggage, amongst the baggage, the moment that Samuel proclaimed him as king. And brothers and sisters, when God hides you, when he puts you in that hidden place for however long it may be, and he chooses you in that hidden place, it's so that at the moment when he reveals you before man, you will not be found hiding behind baggage you are carrying, behind fears or insecurities, but so that you may stand confidently and take your place because the Lord has already developed in you everything you need to fulfill his purpose. Okay, second point. In being chosen, not only can we be assured that the Father is committed to us from beginning to end, but we can be assured of our own value. In being chosen, you know you are valued and you know you are valuable. Now, our sister Anna, she preached uh, 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 <laughs> a sermon. I was like, what's that word? <laughs> she preached a sermon uh, last Friday fire about how we are God's favorite one. And if you haven't listened to that sermon, you should go get it on podcast. It's a good sermon. And according to Strong's Greek Dictionary, one of the implications of the word ekogomai that we're looking at today, to choose, is favorite. In the same way that you favorite 
a video on YouTube or favored a tweet on Twitter. In choosing you, God has favored you. God has favored you. Okay? Let me say that one more time. God has favored you. Isn't it funny when, you know, you emphasize different words in a sentence, you kind of get different revelations. God has favored you. Okay? Not anybody, but God himself has favored you. But God chose. But Lydia chose? No. Your next door neighbor chose? No. Pastor Christian chose? No. Pastor Caleb chose? No. But God chose. The God of the universe, you know, he's the creator of heaven and earth, the everlasting God, El Shaddai, the almighty God, deliverer and savior of the world, the Messiah, the anointed one, the God who is wonderful counselor and prince of peace, Adonai, Lord of lords and king of kings. And in my personal opinion, he is the coolest, the funniest. He's the most awesome entity ever to exist and will ever exist. He's the perfect and the holy one. He knows you inside and out. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And he chose you and I. And why do I emphasize who chose you? And it's because the point I want to make is the more you see the value of the one who chose you, who favored you, the more revelation that you're going to receive about your value as a chosen one. You see, not everyone's choices over your life have the same impact on your life. For example... If a guy I don't like, and I think is, I talked about this yesterday with Anna, after I wrote the sermon, by the way. But um, if a guy I don't like, and I think is mad creepy, and really is a creep, if he comes to me and he says, Lydia, I want you to be my girlfriend, I'll be like, uh, just please, get away, okay? Like, I will not be left feeling special. I will be left feeling very uh, angry and kind of offended, I think. <laughs> but... If a man of God that I value, and I know he's a, he's a man of you know, great value, and he says, I choose you, Lydia, to, to, uh, to be my wife or to, ma- to be my girlfriend, whatever, even if I might not like that guy, I would still be very honored. Wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I would still receive it as an honor, okay? And the reason is because I value the person who has chosen me. And when I value that person, I value his choice. And it affirms me, showing me that I, as an object of his choice, I'm also valuable. And the, and the reason for this is the value of the person who chooses carries over to that which is chosen. Now think of the stereotypical story of a cute, popular guy in high school that all the girls want to date. And then there's the girl who's like the misfit, the outcast. You know, nobody notices her. She just kind of blends into the background. Then this Mr. Cute guy decides that he likes this girl. And he's like, all right, let's go out. And then all of a sudden, this girl is not so, you know, she doesn't blend in so much anymore. And everyone kind of wants to talk to her. They're like, you know, what is there about this girl that attracted this guy to her? You know, she doesn't look so plain and common anymore. Everyone wants to be her friend. You know, what changed? Did anything change about her? No, it's simply because the value of the one who chose her became a reflection upon her own value. This is why advertisements work, right? Because when you see in Korea, there is this girl named uh, Suji. Suji, right? Yeah, the Kumin Chotsara, nation's first love. Okay, that's what they call her. Okay, so if she 
is using this one cell phone. Everyone wants to get that cell phone. Why? Because it's not because of the quality of that cell phone, but it's because she's using it. And when people see that this beautiful young actress slash singer, singer is using it, her choice adds value to the phone regardless of its actual worth. And I really believe that this is one definition of favor. That favor is the visible manifestation of God's choice upon your life. Now, favor is not just, oh, I got a free donut. Yay. You know, favor. But favor is when people are drawn to you because they recognize in you a greater value than just yourself. They see value in you beyond your skill set, beyond your qualifications on paper. No, you land a job where, you know, in the worldly standards, you didn't stand a chance. You're like, oh, how did that happen? No, it's because God has chosen you. Not anybody, but God himself, the one with ultimate value. He has chosen you. And you now, as one who is hidden in Christ, you walk as one marked by God's value and not just your value. There is a limitless price slash value tag on you. And, you know, the world may not know why they're being drawn to you. Um, They don't know why, but they are drawn to you. And Isaiah 65 says, Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Um, Earlier in the sermon, I talked about rejection and this false identity that a lot of us carry from this experience we had of being overlooked or rejected, of not being chosen. Um, But we feel the greatest rejection from who we deem to be the most important person in our life. So if the most important person in your life is your earthly father, his opinion of you and the relationship you have with them is going to determine your view of yourself. So in other words, if you make Christ the most important person in your life, and you value him and his opinion of you above all, rejection won't be able to touch you. But if you keep remaining in the identity of being a rejected one, you're telling God, God, I value my best friend. I value my mother, my ex-girlfriend. I value that person's choice to reject me more than I value your choice in calling me. And in essence, you're also saying, I value them as a chooser more than I value you, God, as a chooser. And so people who walk cloaked in the identity as God's favorite one, as favored ones, cannot be touched by rejection simply because they have learned to value God's choice and his love more than any other person's. It's like, what? You reject me? So what? God accepts me, and he's the most important person to me. Pastor Mina, if some random stranger rejected her, she won't feel that, you know, whatever, because my husband loves me, you know? It's like, uh, it's like, what? You reject me? Well, you know, my, my father in heaven, my daddy in heaven, he chose me, and he told me, I could do all things through him. No, brothers and sisters, do not let anybody's choice over your life phase you and sway you, but continue to gaze upon the beauty of our God. Continue to reflect and meditate upon his worth. Worship him, exalt him higher and higher. And as you do that, not only will you be humbled, but it says in the word of God that when God humbles you, he also exalts you. You know, you're going to receive that revelation of your true worth when you recognize the worth of the one who chose you. Uh, Finally, in being chosen, you know that you can enjoy all the benefits of being baptized into Christ. 
Uh, Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In being chosen by God, we walk in the newness of life. This does not just mean redemption and freedom from sin and going to heaven after death, but it means that all the benefits, the full package is yours to enjoy and enjoy now. Jesus Christ was the chosen run, right? D with a capital T-H-E. Chosen to bear our shame so that we could live in the fullness of his grace. Chosen to be rejected so that we can live accepted before him. Chosen to bear the cross and die so that we may live a resurrected life. And brothers and sisters, living with the identity of a chosen one is to live in the fullness of Christ's victory. You know, when you're chosen for anything, any position, any role, um, any job, what do you look for? You look for, how is it going to benefit me? If a school calls you back and says, oh, yeah, we're going to hire you to be our teacher, you look at, okay, how much are, you gonna, are they going to pay me? Are they going to give me health insurance? You know, are they going to give me housing? What, what benefits are there in this for me? Um, and Christ has chosen us, but not many Christians ask about the benefits that come with being chosen by him. Now, too many times we forfeit the benefits that Christ suffered for us to enjoy. And Psalm chapter 103, where we differ call to worship, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, okay? All his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Forget not all his benefits. Okay? And so what I'm here to say is when you are chosen by God, it's about learning how to enjoy all his benefits. There's no one here who's going to say, oh, I'm, uh, I don't really need a, hou- a housing allowance. It's okay. You can keep that. What? Like, are you crazy? Oh, yeah. You can just pay me um, like, like $300 less. It's okay. No, nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants just the, 90% of what they are chosen for. You know, everyone wants the 100% and more. And in the same way, you know, as Christians, when we are chosen by God, God is saying, enjoy it all. Take it all. Don't just believe me to, to go to heaven, but believe me to heal all your diseases. Believe me to set you free from every bondage. Not just one, but every single one of them. Uh, brothers and sisters, God has chosen you and today, I, I know that you know this identity. It's a very uh, well-known identity. <laughs> but I want the identity to go deeper. Uh, deeper than any experience of rejection that you might have had in your life. Deeper than any delay that you feel in your destiny in your hidden place. Deeper than any worldly value that people have put upon you. Deeper than how you see yourself. You now, God desires that we go forth confident and bold, understanding that as his chosen ones... We are fearless. We fear no rejection. We do not fear man's opinion or choice in our lives. We know that God's choice is a process, and he will be with us to the very end. Okay, let's pray. Okay, I want you to close your eyes right now. And there's a song that I kind of want you to listen to. And... Mm-hmm. I just want you to take some time just listening to the words of this song 
and kind of meditating upon it, asking the Lord to reveal to you what it means for you to be his chosen one. And if there's any kind of rejection that you've experienced, any kind of identity of rejection that you are wearing right now, I want you to take it off. I want you to surrender it before the Lord. If there's any kind of frustration that you feel in that hidden place, I want you to once again tell the Lord, God, I trust in you. My faith is in you, and I know that you are with me, and I know that you're going to be with me to the very end, that I'm going to come out strong to the very end. Okay, let's play the song. I chose you. I chose you still. I knew what I was killing to. I know your frame. And I remember that you are but dust. But I know where this is going. I knew what I was killing to when I called you. I don't regret it. I am not sure. By your struggle, I am not put off by your struggle. I am not disgusted or ashamed of you. No, I do what I was killing to when I chose you, and I said, He is my vessel. He's my chosen one. She's my vessel. She's my chosen one. You see, it's not about you. It's all about me. I chose you, and that's enough. And I'm going to bring you forth in love. I'm going to bring you to the end. I'm going to bring you to the end in strength. Because I see strength in you. You can see inside of you is your own weakness. Oh, but I see the end from the beginning, and I know where this is going, and you've barely just begun. But you see, you see, so few will ever fight the good fight, at least you're fighting, even when you feel you're losing. So few to the battle but you refuse to quit and this is all I ask this is all I ask cause so few will ever look back at me and say Father we just thank you God that you have indeed chosen us Lord that we are your chosen people and God not only that Lord but you call us individually God into a great destiny Lord And Father, I just pray right now, God, that this identity, Lord, as your chosen ones, God, that it will go deep into us, Lord. God, that we will walk, Lord God, with your favor, Lord, upon us. God, that everywhere we go, Lord, that people will be drawn to us, God, because we are walking, Lord, as your chosen ones, as your favorite ones, God. Father, we thank you. We love you, God. We just pray right now, Lord, that as we exalt you higher and higher, God, that you will also reveal to us who we are in you, God. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.